Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, with you as always. This time, it's episode number 29, and uh, I have Jono, you know, I don't know how to say his last name appropriately, Diener, Diner, Diener, whatever. But he's more commonly known as Jono, who is the drummer for the band The Swellers. More on him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com. I know you're probably getting annoyed by hearing that, but you need to go to their website. We produce this show in conjunction with them, and um, they're a great site. They've got so much content up there. You know, I think they do something like, I don't know, 20, 30 posts a day on news, uh, in-depth articles on, um, you know, the music industry as a whole. Um, They've been doing a series on vinyl pressing and why that sometimes takes a long time if you pre-order a record and you know the the intricacies behind that so they just have a lot of great content that anybody who is interested in music will probably find something to relate on there so check it out propertyofzack.com we couldn't do that without him and them and the site anyways uh review the show on itunes we've been getting some cool reviews and i appreciate that uh so keep them coming you can either take two seconds and give it a star rating, or you can take two minutes and write a little review, and I read them, and I appreciate them. So yeah, do that. And uh, let's see what else we got. Oh yeah, visit the website, 100wordsorless.com. You'll be able to find some content in between the weekly episodes, uh, just other recommendations of stuff that I've stumbled across, um, and what friends have exposed me to, and you know. All that good stuff that uh, we like to trade from music and movies and what have you. Um, yes. So as you've probably been noticing lately, I've been getting a lot of other sort of random guests, like people that don't particularly play in bands. Um, and I'm going to be continuing to do that. And you need to subscribe to this show. I personally vouch and think that regardless of if you know this person or not, and actually a review that we have, the show has on iTunes, uh, a person mentions that they don't know 75% of the guests that are on here, but they're able to relate to them in some way, shape, or form just because of either common experiences and, you know, that that's what I essentially want to provide to everybody. We all have this uniquely shared experience because we are into something that you know, is not this sort of typical mainstream culture. Um, And because of that, I think that we all obviously seek each other out. You know, we like to have those people that are either into the same stuff that we are or slightly different and therefore can expose us to a different side of things or a different world. Um, And that's exactly what I want to encapsulate in this podcast. And that's why I do have people that, you know, run clothing companies, and I'm going to have some people that, you know, are involved in the art world coming up uh, on the show. And so, again, the common theme is the fact that they will be involved in independent DIY culture in some way, shape, or form. Um, So, yes, trust me, follow along, listen to all the shows. I promise you, you probably will get something out of it. And if you don't, then email me and be like, Ray, that was a terrible idea. Don't have that type of person on in the future. Because um, I do like to have that feedback. So, yeah. And you can find the email on the website. So, 
I've also, uh, before we talk about the guest, I've also been uh, going to a lot of weddings recently, um, which I guess it's not only that time of the year, but, you know, as your friends get older, they get married. Um, and so I've had the chance to go to two weddings recently. One of them was uh, a guy I played in a band with, uh, Martin Diaz, and his lovely wife, Sierra, now. I actually had the privilege of being in their wedding party. And um, I was actually really excited to participate in this. And I know a lot of people have mixed opinions on weddings. Um, you know, typically speaking, they are fun, but then there's obviously some drama that can sometimes pop up when you have so many random people from all different friends and family facets of the wedding, the wedded couple's lives. Um, so that always sometimes, you know, causes friction, but um, their wedding was awesome. And it just got me thinking where it's like, I personally felt really good after the wedding and fun and a newfound room. I wouldn't say that I've lost the respect of my marriage, obviously, but um, I've been married for over seven years now. And, um, you know, sometimes when stuff becomes a routine and, you know, you maybe take for granted the people you have closest to you, it's always nice to kind of put it in context where it's like you see two people getting, you know, just getting married and you're like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, my wedding or my experience with that. And, uh, you know, it just kind of puts it into perspective and gives you a context for like, hey, what I have, this shared history that I have with this person, this significant other, it's important. And, um, you know, this isn't something to be taken lightly because, um, you know, she's, my wife is essentially my best friend and the person who knows the most about me. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think we just in the busyness of our lives sometimes forget. So it was nice to be able to kind of have that perspective. Um, yeah, so that was kind of what, what's been going through my mind this past week. Um, anyways, Jono, the drummer of the Swellers. The Swellers have been around for 10 plus years. Uh, they are a punk rock band. Sometimes people would call them pop punk um, because they put out a few records on Fueled by Ramen, uh, which we will talk about in the interview. But um, I personally had never met him prior. I was aware of his existence. I personally am a fan of the Swellers and have been watching what they've done over the past 10 plus years as a band. Um, so this is the first time I've ever been able to speak to anybody in the band. Uh, and we immediately connected and had a really cool conversation. Um, this one, we didn't talk a lot of specifics, but more, you know, a, a chat about our perspectives, how they've maybe changed over time, um, and sort of, you know, music culture in general and how that's changed since we've personally got into it. Um, and then also um, his, you know, as a drummer, his perspective of playing in a band um, and then, you know, kind of growing older with it. Because, I mean, anytime you plan to do anything for 10 years, you start to have a different perspective of maybe you did than when, you know, your band existed for two or three years. Um, so I think I hit him at a really interesting part in that not only his own personal life, but in the band's life as well. So. I caught up with him while he was on tour. He's actually on a rooftop of some random hotel in Vegas. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate him taking the time out of his tour schedule to uh, chat with us. So, here you go. Hope you enjoy. Most people are just like, oh, dude, Vegas is a hellhole. Are you, do you actually dig it? I know a lot of people, it's like 50-50. Some love it and some are like, I don't know. Yeah. Work it out, you know? 
Yeah, like I mean, I I I just like it, just obviously because you know wherever you're born, you feel you know that's your home, and so uh, yeah, exactly. And I just have family out there, and so when, but obviously it's like Vegas is so fucking weird because it has you know, the Vegas that everybody knows as far as the tourist strip part. But then it's like, you know, there's this whole undiscovered side of Vegas, like, you know, the real downtown and all that type of stuff. But yeah, yeah. I have like a bunch of friends, uh, like promoters and stuff here. So I kind of like try and get that whole side of it from them. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Well, you gotta, you gotta have perspective because otherwise, but I mean, obviously you being in a band gives you a whole different perspective on cities as you go through them. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, this square mile is great. Everything else sucks. Yeah. That's all I did. <laughs> Dude, that's what, like, because I, I play, I mean, I, I toured from, like, 97 till about 2006, 2007, and it was... Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's like, I, I played I played in this band called Taken. Uh, I sang for them. Um, oh, cool. And so it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, you... I've been able to see, obviously, all these cities, like, you know, just like you have, but then, yeah, you just know, like, 10 blocks in the area. Yeah, exactly. That's why, like, I'm trying to go on my weird own adventures and just, like, wander around and, like, no, have, like, no destination, but then you find the coolest stuff. Dude. Or you go to a really scary area. Totally. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, lo- I love doing that, too. Like, that's that's towards the last few years of me touring. That's exactly what I did, where it's, like, you know, get to a venue and it's, like, the you know, the guys that I played with, a lot of them weren't, you know, they didn't care. They just were, like, all right, we'll just chill at the venue. And I'm, like, no, I got to see stuff, man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same exact way, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you carving some time out on tour to do this. The uh, Usually, I like to start things off with just kind of, you know, the, the simplest thing, like, you know, where you were born and raised and, you know, uh, brothers and sisters and all that type of stuff. Uh, um, when I was, where are you starting right now? I, we're, we're, we're recording, my friend. Hi, right, awesome. <laughs> Here we go. Here comes the saga. Uh <laughs> So I was born in Baldwin, Maryland, or wait, where was I born? No, I was born in like Barrington, Illinois. I didn't even know that until I had to fill out my passport, which is kind of sad. Wow. Uh, pretty much my whole story as a child is my dad uh, worked in the steel industry. So pretty much ever since I was born, um, I think we've lived in like seven different places. Right. But it was like the most awkward, crucial development stages as like a social youth in school. <laughs> so it'd be like, I was born in Illinois and then we moved to Maryland. And then by the time I think I was getting to like preschool or something where I started finally making friends, then we moved to Illinois, like Orland Park, Illinois. And then I was like, okay, well, at least I'll make friends here. And then we moved to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I was in, uh, that was first grade. So right when I made my friends finally in kindergarten, then I moved again. And then I was like, you know, whatever, awkward kid not knowing what's going on and then by the time seventh grade hit then we moved to the flint michigan area in fenton michigan so it's like every crucial oh i just made enough friends finally like this will be easy and then someone just slaps me in the face and it starts all over again dude that's brutal um, that that's it's it's funny because that experience that you're talking about is exactly like um my mother she she had that same experience because uh, my grandfather was in like the construction business and he would like, you know, he, he worked for the government a lot where it's like, you know, they oh, need, okay. yeah, they needed to build homes for a new military base or whatever. So it's like she that same. It's funny because it's like, obviously, you know, you're younger than my mother, but people still have that same experience. <laughs> <I hope so>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, but people still have that same experience where it's like, oh, cool, I finally like get in a rhythm and feel comfortable, and then yo, you got to move, pull up, pull up stakes. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like a weird metaphor for my life. <laughs> it's like the second thing to get comfortable, it just crumbles around you. But it's a learning experience. Right. So that's the positive side, right? <laughs> you know, you could you could look at it from the perspective or that age old cliche, like. Hey, you know, it builds character. And you're like, yo, I got enough character. Like, can I stop yeah, moving? I am, I am the most character of anyone now. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So you, so your, your dad worked, uh, I mean, like he just worked in the plants, like manufacturing I, steel and he was like one of like the white collar dudes. Like yep. this is the funny part. Um, so when we let people know our band is from Flint, Michigan, mm-hmm. people always assume that like my dad was like, gridiron GM dude, like, he was the one that would put the wheels on the Hummer when they were done, you know, or, like, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? Right. But it's like, so, you know, like, we, you know, we came from a good upbringing, like, we, you know, obviously, I think we were pretty spoiled when we started, because, you know, our parents got us, like, instruments, it's just me and Nick, my brother, right. um, we're, we're the only siblings, um, and, uh, you know, there, like, the weird misconception is, you know, being from the area we are, you know, there's, like, the stigma of, oh, well, like we're we're a hardworking blue collar band, but my parents, you know, they they worked their ass off when they started. Like my mom, uh, she she actually uh, was born and raised in Poland, and uh, moved when she was like thirteen or fourteen to the states. Oh wow! And uh, so she lived in Chicago. My dad lived in um, like Toledo ish Michigan, or sorry, uh, Temperance Michigan, which is pretty much Toledo, Ohio. And then I don't know how they ended up meeting something about going to Chicago, but my mm-hmm. dad was a teacher. And he had this, like, you know, he taught, like, only inner city stuff. And, like, it kind of just blew. But, you know, that's what his passion was. Mm-hmm. Then my mom actually worked at, I think it was, like, a, um, some kind of, like, pressing plant or something. But apparently she was making way more money than my dad was at the time, you know, <laughs> especially back in the day. Right. And then, uh, and this was kind of a cool example I kind of used for, like, our band, too. Um, and I, especially with a lot of my friends in college. My dad went to school to be a teacher, like, a history teacher. And he did that for a while. And then one day his childhood friend was, like, do you want to work at the steel company with me? I'll, I'll hook it up. And I was like, uh, I mean, I guess it's more money. Sure. He's been doing that for like, you know, 25, 30 years now. Dude. So like all my friends that are so worried about going to school, they get, you know, they'll either use their parents' money or loans or their own, spend like $20,000, get a degree they're not really certain of. And then just through networking, regardless, they get, you know, the job they want. Yeah. So like, I just think it's a kind of a hilarious concept. <laughs> no, no, it's to, it's it's super funny because you <clears throat> there's always that. I mean, I think especially with like our generation. I mean, because I'm I'm actually I, I turn 32 next week, and I imagine you're probably around that same age. Where I'm 24, but I'm not going to make you feel old. That's fine. No, for, <laughs> for some reason, I, for some reason, I thought you were late 20s, but I'm just taking a stab in the dark. Uh, <laughs> when, when I feel great about myself, like, yeah, you're welcome. I'm you're so welcome. mature. <laughs> you are. You're so you, you carry yourself so well. Um, but I think, I mean, obviously, even though there's a few years between us, like technically, we're kind of still part of the same generation, but especially yeah. like, same experiences where you do you look at the idea and the concept of like you know what what you're talking about with your dad working one profession, um, you know, for a majority of his life, and it's like I think that. I mean, I read some statistic where it's just like, you know, by the age of like 35 or something, um, you know, people of our generation will have had like, you know, four or five different jobs. And it's like, yeah, that just didn't that that didn't really exist back then. Um, and then but now just because the world is so much more, I guess, connected, 
you know, and like you said, the whole networking aspect that, you know, you just end up falling into things that you might not have ever planned for or got a degree for or whatever, you know? Yeah, I guess that's like, that's the interesting part of life. And so many people are so scared of that. And that's like where I thrive. Like, I love, I love like not knowing and I love chaos because you could actually, you know, shape it to make something cool and proactive in the future. Mm-hmm. Or that's everyone else is like, my life isn't planned for me. I hate this, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it. I mean, obviously, like you said, you thrive on it and you've been able to identify that. But then it's like, you know, you put someone else in your shoes and they would be like, oh, my God, I have no idea. Like, I I need to have my next 10 years, like, sort of, you know, laid out for me in order to feel comfortable. Yeah. That's funny. I think, like, our whole whole story as a band, too, is so similar to that. Like, um, you know, not not to cut you off or anything. I just kind of sparked another idea. Yeah. but we we had so many like road bumps as a band to where any logical person would have ended it by now. <laughs> right. Um, I was so, actually I was. It's funny that you 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 totally are going off on a tangent. But I was one hundred percent going to ask you a question like that. So continue, my friend. <laughs> oh, okay, perfect. There we go. This this is why we're going to be friends. Yes. Um. But yeah, like a lot of the stuff. I guess like a pretty much a quick rundown was, um, you know, we started as a three piece just for fun in our basement. Um, one dude wanted to go to college. We got two new guys came with four piece. So we started playing like in the area Then we started playing, you know, it started getting bigger and bigger, bigger, whatever. And, uh, I guess the whole chaos aspect comes to it where first when we started, um, and a lot of people don't know this, this is actually pretty interesting. Um, my dad's child, his friend who got him said steel job I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually was a songwriter and he wrote songs for like Hank Williams Jr. And, um, oh, wow. like, you know, some other Southern rock artists. And, uh, he was like, I want to help you guys. And this is, and keep in mind, this is when I'm 14 years old. I have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so he was like, I want to help you guys, you know, get big. And like in our heads, we're like, well, I mean, we could be like a punk rock handsome. That'd be cool. Because our whole thing was, our gimmick is being young. And that's the only way things are going to work out for us. So we're like, all right, this is badass. Um, so, you know, him and this one dude, like they didn't really do anything with our songs, but they paid for studio time in Nashville for us. Uh-huh. So, you know, we flew down there, we recorded these songs. They ended up pretty much sounding like garbage, but hey, we were the cool kids who recorded in Nashville, you know? Yeah, dude, and that, the whole that's time. A, yeah, that's a huge experience. I mean, you're 14. It's like, you're. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, of course I'll do that. Yeah, so, you know, all the kids at school are like, whoa, you're cool, or oh, that's you, you suck. And uh, so, the, the I guess the chaos aspect uh, introduces itself into our band when um, he starts talking about. He has friends at, I think it's Sony PMG. And he's like, I'm going to push them to you, or push you to them, and I'm going to make this a huge deal, and you're going to get signed, and blah, blah, blah. So they're like filling our heads with this. And this is when I'm like 14 and 15 years old. Right. And it was like screwing with me so bad. So I'm like, all right, well, my gauge of success now is if we sign to this label. All right, cool. So, you know, we we're busting our ass off locally, doing all this stuff. And then we kind of realized, like, wait, this guy doesn't really, you know, have our best interests in mind because he has like this, you know, like, you know, country Southern rock mentality and like big business and yada, yada, yada. Uh-huh. Never hear back from the label. And we're like, Oh, this is weird, whatever. So then over time, you know, fast forward a few years, we're like super cool, you know, want to be punk dudes, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, we befriended a band called a Wilhelm scream. And we've been buddies with those dudes for a really long time now. Um, but they, sent our stuff to Nitro Records, and I'm sure you're familiar if you're from Southern California. Yep. Um, and that was, like, the pinnacle of punk rock for us. You know, like, that was, like, our fat, fat records because, you know, 
we weren't cool enough to dance that record. Right. But, uh, <laughs> right. That's, we what, like that's getting, what you grew up with. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we were looking at all these bands like Crime and Stereo, No Trigger, um, Wilhelm Scream, much the same. All of, all of our peer bands were all getting signed to Nitro. Mm-hmm. And we were like, and I was 17 at the time. So I'm like, all right, well, you know, my new goal is before I'm 18, then I'm going to sign to a big label. That's it. That's, you know, I've set my, uh, my standards to this now. I'm like, all right, cool. So we're talking to them for like eight months. We got to meet like Dexter Holland. We were like all freaking out and stuff. Right. And then, uh, last minute, we get a call. Yo, we're having some financial problems. Uh, we can't sign you guys anymore. So we're building this stuff up back home and like in the music world and like, yeah, we're, you know, we're for sure signing the Nitro. Like we have the con- contract. And then I don't know what they're like. Yo, we're kind of going under. Right. So they dropped all of their bands, never signed us. And then like Wilhelm Scream is the only band that stayed on for one record. Uh-huh. And it was just another, it was the exact same thing I was talking about before where it's like, oh, we finally made it. Just kidding. <laughs> you right. know? Dude, that's so funny. Cause yeah, I totally, I remember that era. Cause during that time I was working at an independent record store. Um, and it was like literally down the street from Nitro. So some of the guys would, uh, the, the, a guy that used to work there, his name was Mitch. Um, yeah, Mitch is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and he would come in and we would kind of, you know, shoot the crap or whatever. And uh, I totally remember where it was like, <clears throat> you know, I could hear the tone of his voice where it was just like, oh, yeah, things aren't going very well. They're, you know, we just need to focus elsewhere. And yeah, it's just funny that you were kind of all caught up in that that bad timing of it. Yeah, well, the, and no one knows that. That's the funny part, because, like, you don't publicly say, No. Well, you know, you know our claim the same as we almost signed a nitro when I was 17. Right, know? right. Well, because, I mean, dude, at that time, I mean, that was, like you said, that was obviously something that, you know, it's a touchstone for you. You were like, God, we have to, that'd be amazing if we got this. And I think it's funny that you, yeah. that you in your own mind were creating these goals based on your age where it's like, I need to do this by this age. That's kind of funny that that oh, yeah. your, your head was, was working in that perspective. And it is kind of sad too. Like, I think, you know, that kind of goes back to the whole like societal norm thing where it's like, for me, I, you know, I didn't have the, you go to college, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids. Like my, mine was like, all right, if I do this by this age, I could establish normalcy for myself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and instead of, being an old person, just having fun and not thinking about it. But that's, you know, that's how I'm wired. Right. Um, but, just, but then, you know, after that, you know, we just stepped on this uh, small record label called Search and Rescue. Uh, that band, Shodos, like their first EP was on it, just like a local Michigan label. Um, and that was another thing where, you know, I actually remember, like, our, our band has this history of always uh, starting to get somewhere and then nothing ever happened. And it, not necessarily, like, this sounds, you know, terrible to say, no, but, like, okay. we were never a band that had any hype. We never had a music scene to be a part of. Like, in Michigan, we, and this isn't even exaggerating, we were one of the only punk rock bands in Michigan for, like, five years. Oh, yeah. And so we would just jump on, like, weird, like, metalcore shows or whatever, and, you know, it was before it was cool. So, you know, we had, like, only a few people at shows or whatever. And uh, so we were just so burnt out because all of our friends' bands, like, we were on a tour that was uh, Crime and Stereo, Polar Bear Club, and Broadway Calls. Mm-hmm. Broadway Calls signed to Side 1, Polar Bear Club was signed to Bridge 9, and uh, Crime and Stereo just signed to Bridge 9. Mm. We were the only band that had nothing. And we were like, seriously? Like, what right. are we doing wrong? This sucks, you know? Yeah. And uh, we actually got an email from Fuel by Ramen the, the day I went for a walk when we were like, talking about like the future of our band. I'm like, oh, maybe this is it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. Like the, the, ti- that, the timing of it came came true yeah yeah so I, I guess you know that's kind of 
uh, continuation of the story where it's always like you don't think things are working out and then they do and then you fast forward again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and it's like for sure. And that's kind of like the the hot commodity right now, like the whole like us leaving FDR thing. And you know, obviously, I won't get into excruciating detail with it. Yeah. Um, but but it's one of those things where it's like over time, you know, the first record things were awesome. We were like, holy crap, our friends back home are freaking out. We're like, dude, I saw you on like MTVU and like I, you know, all <laughs> yeah. this cool stuff's going on. And then uh. Then, you know, as the, the musical climate continually changed, uh, it was just another, like, you know, just a big brick wall for us again, where the next record was coming out, and uh, they had, you know, all this other stuff going on with the label, all, all this crazy crap going on. And uh, we're like, all right, well, here's our record. And then it's like, well, that should come out, like, a month earlier. We're like, really? <laughs> really? Are you but, sure? Okay, sure. And then, like, you know, all these little things started happening. And uh, pretty much what ended up happening was we put, we paid the most money we've ever done for a record. We got to record with Bill Stevenson from Descendants at Blasting Room, right. which is like, you know, again, one of my like bucket list kind of things where I'm like, all right, well, I've always wanted to do this. I did it. Cool. Yeah. We put so much into the record. And then I think like, and uh, the, the biggest thing that came out of said record that we put everything into was we got like a million YouTube plays. Mm-hmm. So in theory, in theory, we would be really rich. <laughs> but right, right. In theoretical internet dollars. Um, <laughs> but it's one of those things where it's like, I think it was three or four months into the record, and we were just like, this isn't working anymore. Like, our, our mentality was just so changed because things went well, and then th- when things didn't go well, we finally had the balls to do something about it. Uh-huh. And it's not even necessarily the label's fault. It's just the combination of everything, you know? Right. So, like, we started realizing, we're like, what? we're like a punk band. Why, what are we doing? You know? And even the tours we were getting that year, like all of that was kind of like, like for example, uh Soundwave revolution. It was like the, the second Soundwave Australian tour a year. Mm-hmm. And you know, for whoever's listening and isn't familiar, that's like, they get like a hundred huge bands all put them together and they tour Australia together. And it's crazy. So Soundwave revolution that was supposed to be Van Halen, Alice Cooper, whole, uh, Danzig, and then, like, you know, go down the scale, and it's like all-time low panics of disco, us, and some other bands. And uh, what ended up happening with that was Van Halen dropped off. All the other big bands are like, okay, we're going to drop off, too. So the biggest band was all-time low compared to Van Halen. Right, right. So I, rem- the, I, remember tour- when, I remember when that all fell apart, and it was totally one of those things. Because everyone speaks so highly of Soundwave in regards to, yeah. yo, this is amazing, because it's like, you know, we can become friends with a band like Baroness, who we would never play with. We would never have any exactly. reason. And so, yeah, but I just remember when that all fell apart. Yeah, and that, that's what was killing us. Because we were like, like, that was after a tour where, like, I think pretty much what kept happening for us, um, every time we get on a tour, it would be, like, the lesser version of the band's tour, whether, like, they were somehow on the decline or, like, some crazy thing happened. Like, one of them was uh, the AP tour with uh four years strong and uh i just remember that tour every single night there was three or four other huge tours in town that day and all of them were affected so it's like our morale of like we have this new record oh you guys don't know it's out yet oh Oh. and then people come to the shows like why why aren't why isn't this sold out and like having to awkwardly explain that to people you know what i mean it just Mm -hmm. sucks yeah. Uh, well, no, it's it's so, funny. It's funny not to interrupt your train of thought, but but like 
Oh, go ahead. I, I do completely. I mean, that that's what I, the impact that the Swellers have had on my life in regards to just kind of watching you guys progress. Um, be, it, it's, it, it's such an interesting thing because I, I do really think that you hit on a very important point in regards to because your band was never really part of a community. It's like, I, I look at like, you know, obviously other bands that are grow up in certain areas of the country and obviously they gravitate towards one another where it's just like, you know, I mean, you look at title fight, balance and composure. It's like every, yeah. se- every scene is able to kind of, whether or not they sound alike, they start to play shows together. And like you said, you're just playing, you know, you're stuck up in Michigan, which I mean, realistically, like the, the, there's not much that comes from that area, like at all. Like yeah, said. Like, and we already used our connection, you know, like suicide machines and mustard plug. That was our <laughs> right, right. That was years ago. <laughs> and totally. And so it's like, yeah, because you weren't a part of that, you know, whatever, you, you didn't have a culture that you grew up with besides, you know, punk rock. Um, and that's obviously yeah. like a national thing. You guys, you know, it seemed like to me, you guys always just made the a logical step where you were just like well i mean i guess this is what we should do like i guess we should sign to fuel by ramen because they are a large label and like that's cool it doesn't make a total sense for us because we aren't that band so to speak yeah um but it was but it's it, like why not at this point you know what i mean <laughs> totally and like it just it every move you guys have made um it i mean it's been cool to watch because it's like you know i mean certain things work certain things don't like you said um, but yeah, I think it all stems back from the fact that you guys were kind of, you know, isolated in your area. Yeah. And another thing too, is like, it is kind of like, like I'll preface this with saying I'm not jealous by any means. I'm like proud as hell of all the bands, but it does kind of suck. Like being a band, like, you know, busting our ass, doing all this stuff. And then seeing like the no sleep records and like the run for cover community. Right. And those just thriving like crazy. Yeah. And at its pinnacles when we just signed a deal by Ramen. Right. So it's like, we were never really able to jump in that whole thing. Like, you know, we toured with the bands, but literally because of a label name, it, you know, not saying Feel by Ramen, but I'm saying like, you know, Run for Cover and those bands, yep. they, they had what we would have had if we signed a Nitro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they had, like they finally became part of something. And, you know, obviously they're already friends because they're from mostly the same area. But with us, they're just like, like in Michigan, like I was saying, we're the only punk band forever. Uh, we when we started touring, we booked our own tours for like years, and then finally, like some people started catching wind of us and like you know kind of taking us under their wing. But you know where it was like for a lot of bands would be like, let's say you know like Wonder Years and Fireworks and all those kind of guys, you know doing tours with each other and like balance composure all that. With us, it's like we started getting like uh, you know like Less Than Jake and like Wilhelm Scream and like bands that meant something to us, but they were completely irrelevant to this other scene of music. So it took us so long to even try and like integrate ourselves with that. But at the same time, it's like, that's who we are, you know? Like right. every time we kind of like overthink the whole thing, we're like, who cares? Like we're, we're where we are because we chose what we wanted to do and that's how things work. Yeah. Uh, you, so, so now you, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and it's funny because like, like you were talking about earlier in regards to sort of the stereotypes of the, you know, the Michigan slash, you know, Flint, Michigan area where it's like, yeah, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. We manufacture our own stuff. And it's like, you know, that you guys have had to do that just based out of the, you know, sheer necessity. Like you've had no choice but to do that because you didn't have those things to kind of work from. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of, it's kind of funny how that all sort of parallels uh, one another without obviously, you know, really being something that's intentional. Yeah, exactly. And I guess a good, uh, well, a transition from that too would be like, well, two different things. The first one would be, 
um, kind of going back to the whole, like, deciding to leave to Y Ramen thing, um, it's literally taking us full circle to where, you know, we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary, which is insane. It's, um, it's <laughs> That's ridiculous. Like, when, when, yeah. I, when I saw that you guys were doing that, and it's just like, it, it, it totally, it, it blows my mind because it's, I mean, it's really, it's, it, people have such a misconception of what it is like to play in a band. It's like, I mean, and when I say people, I mean, you know, people that just, uh, you know, go to shows and, you know, don't really experience the music industry in any way, shape or form. And it's like, yeah. to be able to do what you guys have done, like as far as just, just merely exist and put out records, that's like hard. Yeah, it is. And, you know, keeping your sanity is the hardest part. Yeah, for um, sure, for sure. Yeah. So it's like we had, you know, the 10-year anniversary, and it was like weird coincidental timing. Uh, you know, we got off the label, and we are like, okay, well, can we just do things how we used to, like just not care and record in our house? And we did. <laughs> and it's super weird. You know, like you'll hear like suiciders like, yeah, man, like we were, we wanted to record in our garage, so we hired like, you know, a guy to set up like $10 million worth of studio equipment and then we did it in my garage. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, you know, no one of my favorite bands are not like dissing or anything, but it's just like, come those, on, dude. And then you hear the other side where it, Those are different. Right. Those are, yeah, I was just going to say, those are completely different contexts. <laughs> yeah. And then you'll hear like, you know, Radiohead and Nice Nails like, you know what? Bands don't need record labels. That's irrelevant. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you guys sold millions of records. Yes. Like, We've sold dozens, <laughs> right. you know? It's like, come on. So, I like, if any record labels are listening to this, we sold more than dozens. Right. But, <laughs> no, we, yeah, we, sold, we, sold, we sold probably maybe like 10% of what Radiohead did on their last record. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because we're punk as hell. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but, you know, you hear all that kind of stuff, and it's like, it's like cool, you know, cool, like, sort of being like, big role models, I guess, but it's like the realistic senses. I'm like, this is kind of what we're trying to push on this record. It's like, we're a band who most people don't know of. And we have a feeling if they did hear us, they'd probably like us, but we've never had the opportunity or the privilege of getting the real push to get to all the people that we want to hear us. Um, so we just figured, you know what? Like the best way to find what you're looking for is stop searching. Let's just do that. And that's what we did. We recorded five songs and it literally talked about all the crap we went through in the year. Like I went through a breakup, our band got off the label, all this stuff happened. And mm -hmm. it's like, we wrote these really angry songs. Well, at least lyrically, you know, and it's kind of like, we naturally went back to our roots and combined all the stuff over the years. And like, by not trying and not having the pressure of trying to get on the radio or doing this, we made what, you know, people are telling us are some of the best songs we've ever done. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, Oh, so, when we're just venting naturally and not even caring, that's when, you know, it's, it's, it's almost annoying, but at the same time, it's like really relieving because it's like, why? We don't need to care anymore. Like, in the, in the best way possible. You know what I mean? Right. So now it's like, we're putting out, like, like we, we just announced, uh, like we started a thing called Snowbird Songs, which is our, uh, it's our quote unquote label. But literally all it is is just a logo. We're putting out things we release ourselves. And, I actually got a tattoo like months ago when I, like I had this whole, like <laughs> we got off the tour. Once we got off the label, I got out of my relationship, all this crazy stuff happened. Right. And I got a tattooed on me way ahead of everything. Cause I was just like, this is like the logo of just starting to be carefree again, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what we're trying to show people where it's like, you don't have to stress out or kill yourself over stuff. Like, uh, you know, this tour alone that we're on right now, it's like my mentality went from the most bitter, 
you know, pissed off person. And then fast forwarding to now where it's like, I am so stoked on life. And I don't, I think it was just, I had to deal with all the crap to get to this point. But it's like, I'm so stoked I found this at a young age because I was on the quick track of just being like a jaded, you know, 40 year old in a 24 year old's body. Yeah. Dude, that's and the, a lot of people are like that. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because yeah, like you did mention, you're obviously, um, you know, you're 24, you're younger, and it's like I look at I look at myself, and it's like you know, uh, I'm turning 32, and the idea of like I you know whatever I I have a wife, I have a kid, like there's all this adult shit that I'm doing, but it's like yeah. I, above all, I, I don't I really don't feel jaded. I like I still get excited about hearing new music, and it's like I would be so bummed if that. No I, no, I wouldn't be bummed. I would be devastated if, if I yeah. like, yeah, if you, if you held that, like the, exactly what you're saying, where if you held that sort of, you know, jaded perspective, because all it is, I mean, you know, being jaded, that's all on you. Like there's no, yeah, one, exactly. there's no one else that decides when you are jaded, like period. And so it's like some people just, you know, they blame it on, oh, the scenes changed and the band sucked or whatever. And it's just like, well, you're just not paying attention. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, it goes back to the whole, like, adapt or die philosophy. It's like, if you want to keep your sanity, you don't just stick in your weird little bubble. It's like, you go out and see the world and, you know, yeah. whether the world is, like, the physical uh, geographical locations or it's actual, you know, just your local shows. Yeah. It's like, bands are doing well again, you know? It, it sucks that CDs aren't selling. It sucks that, uh, you know... MTV is irrelevant and that the radio is, you have to pay a ton of money to get on, you know, right. like that's the realistic side of things. But it's like, you look at a different perspective where, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, uh, not a surf. It's one of my favorite bands of all time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in the nineties, the singer was 27 when their first record came out and I'm not even there yet. So I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that song, yeah. But that song popular comes out and, it's this huge radio mainstream success, yada, yada, yada. People consider it a one-hit wonder. All people didn't realize was after the whole label situation ended for them, they went to Barstuck Records, which is, you know, like a bigger indie label. But they kind of, like, stayed under the radar in the right way to where they could still play for, you know, hundreds to, you know, a thousand or a few thousand people. But they've been doing it. And the singer's, like, 43 now. Right. And it's like, they've been doing it this whole time. And they haven't given up. And they're, they seem happy with life. And like, and it's one of those cool things where it's like, you can still exist as a band, but it depends on what your definition of success is. And a lot of people, instead of setting their standards so high, don't even set them in the first place. And that's what I'm trying to do with my head, you know? And like, like I was telling you, like, oh, I got to do this before I'm, you know, 18. I got to do this before I'm 21. And it's like, right. no, it's like my, my definite, my definition of success is being sustainable and being happy with what you're doing. Right. And right. And I'm, I'm, close i guess <laughs> yeah um but but it's like you know and then i guess another thing a lot of people don't realize like when you're like we've been touring for six years straight and the biggest break we've had was this summer which is like three months off with a week of canadian touring in between for like 10 days or something so in theory it wasn't even three months off um but uh like you know a lot of people have the privilege of having a job before they start touring and then they're allowed to leave and come back and yada 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 so like our bass player is an electrician Ryan has been working at Jets Pizza for 11 years in Michigan. <laughs> That's amazing. That's, yeah. And, and it's like he, ha- he isn't even a manager because he tours like so much. So right. he can't do that. You know? So it's like, and then Nick has his own studio. And then in like, the one thing that people don't realize is if you don't have this weird independent DIY tray or have a, 
pre-existing relationship with the company, then you're like, you're in my shoes where you're the, like, I do so much for our band and I'm like, Mr. You know, social media guy and yada, yada, yada. Right. But when it comes down to it, what the hell am I going to do when I'm home? You know? Yeah. Like we, we did, we did enough tour. I think we did like three months of touring and I'm like, hell yeah. I just, I paid my summers worth the rent when I'm home. I'm set. And I totally forgot about living expenses. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get groceries and stuff too. Crap. <laughs> so, you know, all my friends would be going out doing this cool stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hang out here. They're like, gonna... why? Like, Come on, rock star. I'm like, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. You're like, no, I, I'm just going to go ahead and write up, write on my Tumblr because I literally don't have any money. And fortunately I've been able to pay my rent and my utilities. So that's pretty much all, yeah. all I can afford right now. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like I actually was on fruit stamps for a little bit, but I had to like show all of our band receipts mm-hmm. and, you know, I couldn't get on it anymore. But it's like, that's another thing where it's like, that actually benefits people like us. It's like, we're actually doing stuff and like promoting, you know, like we're big advocates for Flint, Michigan. Like, right. like I was saying, you know, it has this negative stigma, but to us, that's home. And, you know, just like you were saying, um, uh, Las Vegas is your home, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, people are like, oh, that place sucks, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, that's why our band started because we played there for the first time. And like, you know, our venue just reopened, like all this cool stuff's going on. And the way I look at it, it's like, we're actually promoting growth of our city by traveling oh, and dude. spreading the word and spreading the stories, you know? Dude, so it's like, yeah. I, I feel okay if I was getting government money for it. Dude. Yeah. You know? no, like, well, I, you have <laughs> to, you have to look at it from the perspective too, where it's like every single major metropolitan city, country, whatever you'd like to call it, um, has arts grants. It's like, obviously you see bands in Canada that are being able to be subsidized, like, you know, make videos, make records, like do these yeah, things. Yeah, getting all the grants and stuff. Totally, totally. And it's just like, you know, in America, it's just, I mean, obviously it's a completely different system and that doesn't yeah. work. So it's like, yeah, you shouldn't, you know, you are, I mean, just as much as like a person like Michael Moore sheds a light on Flint, Michigan, you know, you guys are doing the same thing, except, you know, on a, on a, a smaller, less mainstream level, but at the same time, yeah. a still, a, an important level at the same time. So yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel bad about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, obviously it was only for one month and then they're like, we want all your band receipts. You're like, well, we need them for our business. Well, then you can't do it. We're like, okay. <laughs> all right. quick. Yeah. yeah. But, right. it's, but it's like, you know, one of those things where it's like when I'm home, it's like, oh, yeah, I could go grocery shopping and save money. I'm not on tour. I don't have to eat fast food. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, it, but it's like, you know, it goes back to the whole thing where it's like when I get home, you know, and like a lot of people don't hear this side of it. Like I'm not like financially set for whatever. Like I'm set for a little bit, but after uh, these tours, we're taking a break and we're going to do a new record. Mm-hmm. And that potentially means, that, you know, like four months off. Right. So for the other guys, like, oh, cool, whatever, I'm making money. For me, it's like, what the hell do I do? Right. So like, I'm, you know, I'm like looking into like trying to get a job at guitar center. Like I have like my friends there and it's like, I'm for the first time, like I'm actually able to get a real job. Right. And it's like, you know, whether or not that's a cool thing or not, like I want to do it for the experience and just feel like a normal person for once, you know, yeah. then I'm home by myself, just sitting there. I go crazy. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, I can make money and you know, do whatever. But it's just kind of a shame. Cause it's like all of my, my traits and my, uh, I guess, skill set, it has to do with the music industry, but it's like, hey, hire a guy from Michigan who tours once in a while and can't, you know, like, it's like literally like the worst setup ever. It's like, why would, it's like, no, the economy sucks. Why would we hire more people? So it's like, you know, without going to college, I kind of set myself up for like, well, I should have learned how to, you know, draw or like something like that, you know? Right, right. Well, I see, I think above all, I mean, 
it's one of those things. Well, actually, this this can transition to a question I was going to ask you as well in regards to because obviously you and your brother play in the band. And so like when your parents, like you said, were supportive in the sense that they, you know, helped you buy instruments and, you know, they they wanted to foster that. Um, But obviously, like once stuff started to get, quote unquote, real, where it's like, hey, mom, I'm not going to be going to college. I'm going to be touring. Like once you had to kind of because everybody that plays in a band that starts to tour, you know, approaches that fork in the road where it's like, yeah, all right, mom and dad, like this is what I'm going to be doing. And so I imagine, I mean, you know, mostly, especially within a family, it's usually one kid that's the quote unquote black sheep in a way where they're like, oh, they're doing some weird stuff I don't understand, but I support it. But it's funny that both you and your brother were like, yo, we're doing this. Like, how did your parents take that and react to that? Was it one of those things they just kind of took it in stride or how did it go? Well, like, this is like, I guess the strange, like, uh, I guess the gray area, like black and white would be like, why the hell would you do that? But like the gray area of it was like, uh, in 05, we did a week of warp tour. Uh, Ernie Ball hooked us up mm-hmm. and I was still a junior in high school. And that was like over the summer. So, you know, worked out and everyone's like, holy crap, you did warp tour. You got to eat by a guy from MXPX one day. That's so cool. You know? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, hell yeah, man. And, uh, it's just hilarious because it's like, we had that and then Nitro talking to us my senior year of high school. So we already had this like a leg up to my parents where we're like, listen, like we're, we're doing stuff pretty seriously. And they were like, they were always big advocates of like, like Nick learned this like insanely complicated jazz song like years ago. And his reward was a new guitar. And it's like, because you know, my parents obviously had the money to do that. Uh That's a ton of incentive to get better. So like we were always practicing, we're always doing this stuff. So it got to the point where it's like, when the incentive has to become a life choice rather than just a, a gift of sorts, you know what I mean? That's where the college thing came in. And, you know, Nick uh, actually went to one, or I think it was a half semester. I don't know if it was a full semester or not, uh, to like a, a, a local college in like Flint, like University of Michigan Flint is where he went. Okay. And uh, when, like we were good friends with a Wilhelm scream, it's actually kind of full circle with that story. Hmm. And uh, they, he gets a call one day and it's this, uh, Trevor from a Wilhelm scream. And he goes, Hey dude, uh, a bass player just quit and jumped on a plane and left. And we're going to be in Michigan tomorrow. Uh, would you want to jump on the rest of the tour with us and play bass? <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> and I was just like, dude, do it. And he's like, I, I don't know. So like they called the school and they're like, well, you have like a $1,500 or $1, drop off fee, have all this blah, blah, blah. And then Wilhelm calls back and goes, we'll pay it. Whoa. So we all really? like, with each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so God. So we're like, we're like, holy shit, what do we do? And, and Nick, like, you know, pulled me aside. He's like, dude, I mean, this is pretty serious stuff. Like, I know. And then we talked to our parents and like, this is going to be the start of something big, you know? And we're like, Hey, like, is that cool? If he drops out. They're like, I mean, they're paying, you know, we're not losing any money over it. Cool. Whatever. Go for it. And they were supportive. And they like, that was like the first like lever, you know, switched. So we're like, okay. Wow. That's, that's cool. And, and then Nick comes back, like learned everything from like this veteran, punk touring band so by the time it was ready for us to go like i remember my senior year i just cared less and less because i was like i know i'm going on tour so we had to i don't know if you did in school but we had we have a thing called a senior exit presentation and uh it talks about like i uh these are my goals this is the school i'm going to to achieve these goals etc oh um, wow no no I, I i didn't have anything like that it was it, i mean there was maybe something similar to that, but it wasn't like, did you present it in front of your class or teachers or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was like a PowerPoint thing. Oh. <laughs> so I guess it was more, it was one of those things where it's like, Hey, 
I need to say out loud what I want to do so I actually achieve it and don't look like a dumbass. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I understand the point. So, it's funny. So, so I get up in front of my economics class, and I'm the only one who goes, well, um, my career is being a rock and roll musician. Um, it requires no college education, so I will not be going to college. But uh, and I was like, at the time, I was like, you know, right now we're being scouted by a label called Nitro Records, which is owned by the singer of The Offspring. Uh, we're going to Japan in a few months. And, and everyone's just like, their jaws are dropped, and they're like, what? Yeah. And my teacher, like, pulled me aside, and he was just like, yeah, the vice principal was here during that? I thought that was the coolest thing you did. Really? And I was like, well, I'm like, what do you mean? It's like, the fact that you had the balls to say that you're not going to college, but you actually had ambitions and goals to achieve it, and you know what to do. Right. It's like, that's awesome. Yeah. And I was so stoked. I'm like, okay, yeah. So, like, I remember, like, I, like, took my ACTs just for, like, shits and giggles, you know? And I just botched it. And I still got a good score on it because I was like, cool, public school system. I don't have to care. I'll still do well. Right. And, like, that's the point. I guess the biggest deterrent for my parents was that Nick and I are pretty smart people. Like, I think he had, like, a 3.8 or something, and I had, like, a 3.7. Right. And it's like, you know, we were never, like, struggling in school. Like, were, we were doing fine. Yeah. And it was just one of those things where it's like, it's cool that we can, you know, at least apply our knowledge and stuff to, like, lyrics and songwriting and all that. And it's just an overall, like, level-headedness of our band rather than, you know, oh, I'm going to school for blah, 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 even though I don't want to, and I have this thing on the back burner. But then I wonder why the band doesn't work out, you know? Like, that's everyone we know. Well, yeah, so. it, it's it's funny that you, you hit on something in there that I think is really interesting and something I didn't really think of before. But the common, um, you know, the common conception that obviously, like, our parents have of playing in a band is... Um, there's no shortage of passion with that, but there's no, you don't feel like it's ambitious. Like, I mean, or uh, maybe not that, but they just don't feel, or the ambition isn't attached to responsibility, you know? And they don't see the the payoff. I guess that's the big thing. Yeah, no, that's true. And so it's like, uh, you know, to be able to, you know, go in front of, you know, your teachers and peers and what have you, and to be able to say that like, okay, I am not going this traditional route that, you know, people have done for years and years before me, but that doesn't mean I'm some, you know, compl- you know, you're going to find me as a druggy loser in like three years at the local bar. Um, like, yeah, cause, yeah. cause that, that's, that's what people think where it's just like, okay, yeah. well, Oh dude, you want to be in a rock band? Like, sure. That, whatever. And it's like, cause then, I think a big part of it too is, uh, like Nick and I are both straight edge. So I think that's like a huge help for my parents because they're like, you're not going to go on like crazy drugs and like, yeah go after hookers and stuff on tour, you know, it's like, you're going to be like, you know, you, you're level headed and you know what you want rather than just like, yeah, I just want to like play guitar and like do like Guns N' Roses covers the local bar, you know, it's like night and day compared to that. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And so it's like, yeah, it's, it's funny to be able to like reconcile all that. And like, I just see, cause like my wife is a high school English teacher and I see like, I mean, similar to your experience in regards to like, once you actually start to do stuff in high school and you start to feel um, you know, like you have some sort of voice and a choice in the matter. Um, and then, but then you see, you know, you look around at your fellow classmates and you're just kind of like, like, you're not doing anything. Like they literally are just, you know, dicking around, like they've got no ambition besides the fact they're just like, oh, well, I know I'm going to go to college. And it's like, well, if you don't really want to do that, there's something else that's out there. And like, you know, you just, you, yeah. you, you feel like you just want to open your eyes and be like, oh yeah, there's like, you can explore other opportunities or, you can start trying to figure out how to make money off of your passion 
in high school now. Like, you don't have to wait until you graduate. Like, I, yeah, and that's what kills me. Like, and I, a big thing too is like a lot of, I guess specifically girls, uh, they'll they'll like see like you know their their role models or whatever going on tour, like doing merch, tour managing, whatever on like war tour and stuff, and they're like, I'm gonna go to college to learn how to go on a tour. <laughs> And I'm like, you should go on tour to learn how to tour. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. And, and it's like, you're wasting so much money. And like, you know, I have some like, uh, like close friends now to do that. And it's like, you know, hell yeah. Like, I'm sure you could move on like way up in the music industry. But I'm like, but if you want to do, you need to do like the grunt work to learn how to do it. You know, like we play shows for like three years to, you know, everyone from nobody to, you know, a few thousand people. And it's like our perspectives, you know, completely changed. And the way we deal with things is completely changed. You know, everything is based on like timeliness, professionalism. And I mean, I guess now it's more, it's, you know, having fun, but like it's one of those things where if you're going to school for it, you're like the homeschool kid who jumps into like the cool, like, you know, like a school gathering where it's like, you have no social experience. You don't know how things actually work, but you, you're good at, you know, the bookwork of it. Right. And it's totally different. Yeah. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just kind of like, I'm, I'm stoked on how we did it, even though, you know, it is kind of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like disheartening when like, I'll see like my friends like getting married and like they're home, they have these relationships and they get to like, you know, build all this stuff. And I'm like, like, I think it was a year ago, uh, we were home two months for the whole year mm-hmm. and it was just like this ridiculous thing. And, you know, we, we're always like, man, I hope someone actually notices we're touring so much, but no one really does. <laughs> so we're like, well, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, well, like, I'll see my friends, like, hang out, and then I'll be gone for a year, and I'm like, oh, why did things change when I'm gone? I'm like, oh, because I was gone for a fucking year. Right, right. <laughs> like, that's why. You're like, these these people have lives. Like, I have this, this. I, I've, I, I've said this on, on the podcast before, but it's like touring is like a suspended state of animation. Like you, you're, you're in this otherworldly experience and, you know, I mean, cause it's not like when you come home and you talk to people outside of the band that, you know, know you're in a band and like, know you travel and stuff. It's not like you can sit there and like really chop it up about that. Like you're like, you know, you're not going to talk to them about like, dude, we were in Seattle. We got shorted a hundred bucks in our guarantee. You're not going to like, <laughs> they're not going to know what you're yeah. talking about. So it's like, yeah. And the best part too is like, you know how much money you make? Like, uh, like we, you know, we'll do some bigger tours. I'll leave out the band names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're getting a hundred bucks a night. Right. And people are like, Oh, you each get a hundred bucks a night. We're like, no, our, our band is getting a hundred bucks a night. They're <laughs> like, is, really? This is the like, collective. What? Yeah. Yeah. This is the collective payment. This isn't a hundred dollars a person. Yeah, so it's like, you know, when people found out about all that stuff, they thought we were like millionaires, they're like, hell no. Right, right. But it's like, but you know, it's, your head is in the right place because you're doing doing it because you want to do it. You're clearly not doing it for the money. Yeah. And like, that, that's kind of how we try and look at it for ourselves. Like, that's how we keep our, you know, our sanity, I guess. Yeah. But Well, I, I think, I mean, yeah, I think it's really important, especially like you said, where the band is at currently, where it's like, you guys are essentially, you know, you've decided to sort of p- flip the proverbial pa- next page in your the book of the Swellers to the next chapter where it's like, yo, we're doing it on our own. We're doing it on our own terms. Like, you know, we are we are setting ourselves up for 
the potential to enjoy this more than we would be if we, you know, decided to be put through the, another ringer as far as another record label is concerned. And it's like, yeah, to be at able least to, for the time being, you know, right? Of course. I mean, yeah. Who knows? It's like you know, in six months, you guys could be like, oh, well, this opportunity came up, so we can't really say no to that. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're 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 doing your best to obviously marry the idea of like still enjoying the band 10 years later. Cause that's like, I mean, like I said, that's an achievement in and of itself. Um, and to be able to like, like you said, set that or set the foundation of like, Hey, this is how, this is how we set the bar now of what we define success. And this is how we're going to try to achieve that success on our own terms, as opposed to, like you said, you know, all right, we're going to be on the radio. We're going to do all these million of other things. And it's like, well, no, you know, we tried that and, you know, it just didn't work for us. Yeah. Um, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. Uh, and, um, you know, sort of wrapping things up on a, 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 I don't even, I don't even know if I would call this less serious, but the, um, the, I'm always really attracted to when drummers of a band are able to sort of, make their presence felt because 97% of the time drummers and bands like they don't like no one knows them. I don't care who yeah. you, like, I mean, they, people know them just because obviously they like the band and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, Jonathan, he's a drummer and the, you know, but to be able to like, you know, I guess step, you know, in front of the drum, so to speak. And like, like you become an actually, you know, obviously it helps because, you know, you do vocals for the band as well, but um, yeah, yeah. Have you, uh, like, do you notice that still, like, existing and happening within music where it's just like, oh, yeah, well, everyone cares about the singer and that's pretty much it? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess it, you know, it depends on the whole demographic. Like, yeah. with us, uh, and when we first started, it was always Nick writing everything. And as time progressed, like, it's pretty much 50-50 songwriting-wise. So I'm, like, I'm definitely uh, one of the main lyricists of our band, and a lot of people don't even know that. Okay. And on top of it, it's like, I could, you know, as a drummer, I can barely play guitar, but there's, like, whole songs I've written, and, like, I'm, like, you know, writing new songs now, like, there's, there's a, I have a bigger part than most drummers would, I guess, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, normally it's just like, oh, you're the drummer, cool. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But it's like, I'm, I'm cool with not having to be, like, playing a song and be like, wait, wait guys, I wrote that one. I'm back here. Remember me? All right, here we go. Here's the next song. You know, it's like right. okay. <laughs> like I, I love it. Like I love finding bands when I find out that it's someone else who writes the songs. You know, mm -hmm. it's not just the singer. Yeah. Um, so it gives it a whole different perspective. But it's like the way I look at it, I have like I've, I've I'm the dude who grew up wanting to be the actor and the singer and yada yada yada, and I ended up being you know the writer, and I'm like okay. I'm fine with that. Like I still, I'm, I have my stamp on things I want to do. Cause if I, I don't have like a creative part, I go insane. But, um, I guess uh, kind of like a big influence for the whole, like c coming out of the, uh, the woodwork would be like Riley from thrice. Uh, oh, yeah. he's always been a dude that's like, he's like the spokesperson for thrice, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. No, no. For, I mean, for sure. Like he, I, I, he was actually one of the first guests on this podcast and he, um, uh, I've known him for years and like watching him. I, I think the thing that gets me stoked more so than like, Oh, a drummer making, you know, a voice for themselves is like when you actually see a band member step into a role that not only is important for themselves because you've watched them develop, but obviously it's also important for the band where it's like, you know, it creates more of an identity. It gets people invested more in the band because it's not just, you know, 
the you know the centerpiece aka the singer where it's like you know oh yeah like i know everything about the singer i know that you know he wears size 10 shoes and it's like yeah, <laughs> to, yeah to be able to like watch a person develop and like okay like i'm obviously just as important as everybody else in the band um and this is something i feel comfortable with because i think obviously a lot of people you know and people fill certain roles within the band just as much as you know people fill a role in society um, but yeah, yeah. That, that, that's cool that obviously like you saw, you know, what Riley did and then, um, you know, you, you, you felt, uh, obliged to be like, oh yeah, I can do that. Like this exists. Like this isn't weird yeah, yeah. if I make myself visible. Because the way I look at it, it's like, you know, a lot of people could just sit around and do nothing. Like, you know, I mean, we have guys in our band who like, you know, they have their jobs and they do whatever. But with me, it's like, I don't do anything. <laughs> like the band is what I do, you know? Yeah. So I'm always like online, like, you know, checking all the sites and like, literally doing everything I can to like, uh, just brand ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, I could turn laziness into productivity, which is pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Well, I think, and sort of putting the final point on our, our chat, I think it's, uh, I mean, you're, you're invested and it's like, I think it's the, you know, just hearing the way that you talk about things, it, it shows that it's like, you know, this obviously the, the swellers ends in, you know, six months, three years, you, you, no one ever knows. But once it, once it does come to, you know, a, a conclusion, it's like, you know, you're still going to be involved in some way, shape or form. Like, and that, yeah, exactly. and to me, that's like the most important thing that people can kind of carry on no matter what they're doing. It's like, as long as they're able to still be creative in some way, shape or form and still be invested and not like, you know, fall victim to becoming jaded or lazy or whatever. It's like, that's, you know, that's all anybody can really hope for, especially being plagued with the curse of being an independent music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, I uh, won't take up any more of your time, but um, thank you so much, dude. I really appreciate this. And I, uh, I hope you had fun in some way, shape or form on. Oh, no, it's, it's nice actually uh, being able to talk instead of, being able to give off just rattled bullshit responses. <laughs> right, totally. Just be like, here, here's, Jonathan, here's a question. All right, here's another one. It's like, yeah, it's, yeah. that's, uh, it gets... See, that's, you know, that's my thing. Like, I'm kind of hoping, like, you know, people can hear our story this way rather than, oh, here's what our band name means. Oh, here's my favorite color. And there you have it, everybody. Thank you for joining us again on another exciting episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at 100 Words Podcast, and go to the website 100wordspodcast.com. And also visit our great partner in propertyofzack.com. And until next week, be safe. See you later. <laughs>